Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I am Daniel Janine. I am an associate producer at Eater, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, <laughs> Amanda Clute, Eater's hey, editor-in-chief. We have a special episode this week. Uh, we can't stop talking about Jose Andres, the superhero. Superhero of the restaurant world. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have all been following, but he is single-handedly... Um, Save the island of Puerto Rico, right? That's the story. <laughs> He's at least the face of the relief efforts. Yeah, when the government wasn't acting, he got on a plane, yeah. went down there, organized people, got his restaurant friends to help, and has been cooking meals for people on the island. And now people are acting. Yeah. So. Um, for those of you who don't know Jose Andres, he is um, a prolific restaurateur. Dan, I think he owns 26, 26 restaurants. 26 restaurants. At least um, a, a year ago, that was the number. <laughs> we really did the research. <laughs> he, uh, most notably, most notably in Vegas and D.C., and he has a bunch of new restaurants coming to New York. He's opening a bazaar and a food hall. Um but he's also known for his humanitarian efforts. So what we've got today is we're going to talk about this. And then we thought if you wanted to get a better sense of Jose Andres, the man, we would play a little excerpt that we have picked from our interview that Helen and Greg did with him, I think, eight months ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a great interview with Jose. Mm-hmm. Cut it down to just the best parts. Just the best um, bites. But wanted to spice it up a little bit by talking about what the man is doing right now. So we have a special guest in studio, Eater's very own Monica Burton. Hey, Monica. Hi, guys. Foremost Jose expert at Eater <laughs> yeah. this week. But like, so, how, many, how many stories do you think you've written about Jose just this week? Uh, this week it was four. I might have done one last week as well. Is that the most stories you've ever written about one thing? In yes, I think so. Especially consecutive, one after another. Right. We call, he, it, we call it flooding the zone. Yes. Sometimes <laughs> it's good to just be obsessed with something. <laughs> Especially if it's Jose Andres. Mm-hmm. So back in 2010, uh, Jose Andres founded something called the World Central Kitchen after helping out with the relief efforts in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what what is the World Central Kitchen? The World Central Kitchen is um, Jose Andres's nonprofit that he set up after the earthquake in Haiti. Um, they focus on disaster relief, and they are there when there's a disaster and people need to eat. And then, most more recently, the World Central Kitchen was activated to go to Houston. Yeah, and he was just there to feed people. And then, like less than a month later, Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, and he's been there for more than a week now. I just love that a hurricane hits, and then like. He's there. Mm-hmm. He's like Batman. Like he's just, yeah. he's just like here I am, and he tweets like from the grocery store with like a shopping cart full of tomato sauce. He's like I'm on my way to Houston. Yeah, that's usually the first tweet is like he's already on his way. <laughs> There's no prior announcements. I think his Twitter is a is a big part of this because if you look at the amount of meals he's been able to make per day, starting from when he landed to now, which I mean we can just say that really quickly. He landed September 26th. On September 29th, he said they were doing about 8,000 meals a day. Mm-hmm. They've done a total of 130,000 so far, according to World Central Kitchen. Um, and they're on track to do 50,000 a day, and he thinks he can get that oh up God. to 100,000 a day wow. by the end of the week, or maybe through the weekend. Yeah. And he started in a restaurant, and now he's in like he started an in, arena? Yeah, he started in Jose Enrique's restaurant, um, which is in Puerto Rico, and then he moved his main operation to... The biggest coliseum in, or arena, rather. The big, he moved his operation to it the biggest. Yeah. It is called yeah, the Coliseum. It is called the Coliseum, but it is a, an arena. <laughs> um, so that's where his main operation is set up. But 
uh, World Central Kitchen is flying chefs down there, and they're setting up kitchens all over Puerto Rico. And he has talked to the Board of Education about setting up more kitchens and schools across the island. I think what's also interesting is because of his um, notoriety, hashtag brands are getting on board. Like he's he's like, I got a pallet of chicken from Chile. And I got like a a bunch of water from like Budweiser or PepsiCo. So all these brands are like, oh, this is going to I mean, they want to do good, but also they get the publicity. for it. That's what I'm saying. I think that his Twitter is playing his his online persona plays a big part in it, because although I think in his day to day life, he wouldn't go out and say that I love Coca-Cola. Yeah. But if Coca-Cola sends him big pallets well, of water. Well, it was interesting. He tweeted that, I think it was Wednesday, he tweeted that he was buying water right. from Coca-Cola oh, Puerto right. Rico. And um, then he actually retweeted someone saying, why isn't Coca-Cola donating the water? Mm-hmm. And then the next day is when all of those donations from other brands came in. <laughs> They're like, chili shit. <laughs> Chili's and Goya. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think you can downplay how important it is that he's there. Yeah, that I, he found a plane and got there. Yeah. Like when the president wouldn't go there. Right. And he, yeah, he fired some shots. He didn't yeah. miss the opportunity to fire a couple extra shots at, <laughs> yeah. at Trump. I just think for all these people there, all these different food trucks, he's he's going around and he's checking on what they're making. And he's definitely, yeah. he'd be like, oh, this is the bomb. And like, how many people are you feeding? And he's getting in there with the giant paella paddles. Yeah, he really does it. So what is the, the chef network? It just, to me, it seems like uh, the Avengers or the Justice League. And he's like, oh, I'm in a new city. Uh, call in the, the bat signal. Or, and then all the. I mean, he has friends. And yeah. World Central Kitchen is using the money um, that people are donating to them to fly people down there mm-hmm. um, from their hashtag Chefs for Puerto Rico network. If you want to donate to hashtag Chefs for Puerto Rico, that website is worldcentralkitchen.org slash donate and obviously it will help. I don't want to say I'm excited for what he's going to do next because it will be a terrible tragedy but it's (laughs) like I just love following the story just as a journalist of like oh now there's an earthquake here. Send dispatch Jose Andres. (laughs) (laughs) Airdrop him in. Yeah. Every situation is improved with Jose Andres. Fix the problem. It's not just disasters. He's also there when Trump says something about immigrants. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they, can you explain the lawsuit for people who aren't caught up on that? Jose Andres was going to have a restaurant in a Trump building um, after Trump revealed his horrible thoughts about immigration. Jose Andres pulled out of the restaurant, so Trump sued him and Jose countersued. On the show, which you'll hear, he says it, it was a business decision, that mm-hmm. he didn't believe he could inspire enough staff and inspire enough people to come into a place that was owned by a person who would say those things. Right. If someone tweets at us, you, with uh, with with proof that they have donated after listening to this, will you guys write about them? I will totally retweet, retweet yeah. that, yes. Yeah. I will retweet okay. anyone who tweets yeah. about donating because of the show. Also, people can eat at restaurants that are doing them, so it's a nice way for people here who are not chefs mm-hmm. to donate while eating. Is there any way to find, how do you find those restaurants? Um, Well, World Central Kitchen has World Food Day on October 13th, um, where they have, I think it's 150 restaurants across the country are involved, and um, 10% of their proceeds that night will go to World Central Kitchen, which will divvy up the money to Haiti and Puerto Rico. So with all that information now about what Jose's up to, uh, that's going to make this wonderful 20-minute selection that we've made. So much good context. All the more interesting. You know what he's going to be great at right now? 
recruiting. Oh, man. Uh, That's a really good segue into talking about our wonderful advertiser, ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then, ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying quality candidates about your job within minutes of posting, so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you, it finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. That's right. right. Free. That's right. Free. Oh, ZipRecruiter.com slash eat. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash eat. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash eat. Okay. Let's get into this, uh, Jose. So 25 years into your American story, um, there's a very interesting wrinkle into the story, which is that uh, you are currently being sued by the president of the United States and you sued him back. As far as I understand, you're not a very litigious person. Is that correct? (laughs) I think that's my, (laughs) the first time in my life I've been sued by anybody. Um, I mean, I guess if you're going to get sued, getting sued by the president, start small, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, uh, we we did it at the time that was the right thing to do. Quite frankly, my, my official line is was business. A business decision was not was not going to be good for business. And you can use the word business in any way or form you want. Business, yeah. And so it was a business decision. And um, I try. I try to, to, to come to, to terms, to, to an understanding. Even I spoke to then the Republican candidate, Mr. Trump, about his comments about uh, Mexicans, about Latinos, about being rapists. And and at the end of the day, it was like life is too short to, to don't respect others and make sure that others respect you. And specifically to those that have no voice. And I felt that all of those things made the business environment not the right one. And that's why why I told him, listen, change, please help me, help me help you. But 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 I was not very successful. When you were talking to him, did you get the sense he was listening? Did you feel respected back? Did you feel? Yeah, I think I think he's, I think he's a guy to a degree. He 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 listens, and quite frankly, I I was expecting that was going to be a little change of course, but but it didn't. So today I'm very glad I did what I did. He, he did what he had to do, which was swimming, and I did what I had to do. But in life I believe that it's only one way to win, which is everybody winning and moving forward. And that's the way I've tried to run my life. I, I hope he follows his art of the deal, uh, so-called bestseller. And, and, and making a deal is sometimes uh, you, you, you bring everybody along. You offered a a really interesting third path to him over Twitter a a couple of months ago. You tweeted that you – and I I don't know if you expressed this formally to him also, but you suggested that the two of you drop your respective lawsuits and 
donate the millions of dollars that are in play here to a, a veterans charity, yeah. which to me seems like a, a very generous and reasonable third option. Yeah, well, I didn't say millions because uh, I, I say a few hundred thousands. Oh, but, still a but, lot of money. But I'm very happy to, to do it either way. My partners and I, I didn't do it out of weakness, but all of the contrary. I have a very good case and I have uh, an amazing group of friends and partners that, you know, money is not an issue. So I, I made sure that he understood that this was not going to be like he's going to tear me down because I'm I'm only a cook. Like, no, no issue on money here. I can go one-on-one -on -one with him uh, as long as he wants. But at the end, what do you gain? What, what do you really gain? Uh, I want him to concentrate in running the country the best he can and trying to keep running my business the best I can and trying to keep moving America forward. And I thought that was a good idea. I, I think he knows about it. His people know about it. Let's hope that Sooner or later, we, we have a settlement, only because I don't like to be spending my life in in court. You got other stuff to do. Yeah. You know, I your relationship with you here. <laughs> your relationship with Trump couldn't be more different than your relationship was with President Obama. Last year, he gave you the, the National Humanities Medal, which is basic. I mean, there's no higher honor. There's I can't think of a higher honor than that. So you go from, like, one of the most beloved presidents of all time, literally putting a medal around your neck to... Not yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's life. Uh, but me, I try. Uh, I'm trying to be a guy that even I have this big voice and this big body, like a whale jumping from the water in the middle of the ocean. At the end, I like to live my life like every human being, somewhere in the middle, uh, enjoying life and enjoying the the sunrises and the sunsets and enjoying the smell of coffee. In the morning, uh, the smell of fresh squeezed orange juice. I mean, those unique things that we don't give importance, but is what makes our days unbelievable sometimes, and we don't think about it. So I don't want to be running my life in any other way. I don't want to be getting the super awards or being sued. I want to be in the middle. But it's very funny that, yeah, that I go from from being in the right size of the force to... I don't to the other side of the force. I don't know if it's the good or the bad one, but the other side of the force is kind of funny. Um, I know that before the election, you're very involved talking about ideas about immigration reform, and I'm just kind of curious um, how has that conversation changed in the last few months for you? Um, it's or has it changed? I mean, is well, it still? We're good. I hope you can hear me. Ah, you pulled the Superman. Tearing move. down my. Whatever you it's call beautiful. this thing. How do you yeah. call this thing it's in a, English? It's a, a vest. vest. A vest. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I forgot that name. For and those of you listening at home, that zipper noise you yeah. just heard was literally a zipper being undone. Jose Andres yeah. tore open his vest in a I'm, Superman like, style. I'm not naked. Not I'm not Clark, naked. He's not Clark Kent anymore. <laughs> he's wearing a T-shirt that says... I, I am an immigrant. I am but, an immigrant. But I say this with the utmost respect to everybody else. Um... I think we need leaders that brings everybody together. Leaders that believe in inclusion, not in exclusion. And immigration is very much at the heart. Uh, it is true that we have a group of people in America, in different parts of America, different states, in our own cities. We don't have to go to rural America, that they feel they are not part of the American dream, that they are somehow left behind, that unemployment is high that drugs are popping up all around their communities, that they seem not to have a future. 
and they can be miners, they can be white working men that they are trying to do the best they can to keep moving their families forward. We can call them born Americans of many generations. And quite frankly, we need to be fixing those problems and we need to be helping those people. And then we have other people, immigrants too, that they feel sometimes that they have to work hard, that they are alone, that the system is using them. And it's some people that they are trying to make this group in the heart of America, trying to fight this other group that they are just coming to dream of a better tomorrow. And it's so sad that they are trying to, to say that the problems of this group are because these other people. And used to try to bring this kind of different civilizations into a fight, that's the wrong thing to be doing. Because actually you're not going to be fixing any other problem um, only by making different groups uh, fight. At the end of the day, America needs those immigrants because uh, go, go to any farm. Who is working on those farms? Go to the golf courses. Who is working on those golf courses? Go to many restaurants across America. Who do you think is working there? So we have 11 million undocumented that actually they are doing work that nobody else seems to be willing to do. So it's very unfair that we don't recognize those people, that they are part of the DNA of America, that wake up every morning, very early work, very hard, and that together they try to keep moving their families forward with the money they bring in. But in a way, they are moving America forward. So used to try to demonize those 11 million undocumented when the system is using them for the betterment of the system, but we don't recognize their contribution. That's unfair. And to use those 11 million undocumented to tell the guys in Ohio, Pennsylvania, or in Anacostia, Washington, D.C., that the reason they're not doing better is because those 11 million undocumented, that's unfair. That's a lack of leadership of astronomical proportions. What we need to be doing is what do we do to help those people that they feel forgotten by the system? And what do we do to bring those 11 million undocumented that they are part of the economy of America and of the spirit of America out of the shadows and into the real world? If we accomplish that, America will keep moving forward unbelievably well without making one group believe that they should hate the other because everything is wrong with their life is because these other people are taking things away from them. It's not the way the world works. Actually, one plus one, I believe, can be three. And here somebody is telling us that one plus one is minus ten. It was one of my, my favorite things. You, you wrote this, um, this great piece for Eater about your experience as an immigrant in America. And, and towards the end of it, you mentioned this idea about being an active citizen, um, which I thought was very powerful um, to think about that. I mean, this is a kind of big question or a big idea. Maybe you don't have the answer to it. But what can diners and what can restaurant owners do in that sense if you want to support immigrant rights and reform and, and those ideas right now? Well, it's so many things. But one thing and, and one thing we can do is the restaurant food community in America is, is over 10% of the GDP. It's a very big number and probably employs 12, 13, 14% of every working American. It's a very big number. So what I say with this is that the food family is a very powerful one. And I do believe that immigration reform is not a problem for us to solve, but it's an opportunity for us to seize. I do believe America will be stronger bringing those 11 million undocumented back from the shadows. So what I will tell everybody that we need to be actively 
telling our Congress stop doing nonsense, talk about things that don't improve anything, and use let's push Congress to pass comprehensive immigration reform. We had President Bush and President Obama with majorities at the time on the Hill that they were not able to pass immigration reform. So we had two beloved presidents, respected presidents, trying to pass immigration reform, and Congress didn't let them. Why? We should be putting the pressure on Congress right now. But it is so unfair that after so many years, we still don't have immigration reform. Uh, again, uh, that's what I will ask the restaurant community to support immigration it reform. feels like a strong move in so many ways. I mean, it makes sense from a business perspective, as you were saying, you know, the number of immigrants, both documented and undocumented, who work in the restaurant and food sector is, is tremendous, I think. And especially if, when we're talking about undocumented immigrants, if we consider agriculture work part of the food sector, yeah. way more than half of all undocumented labor in the US happens with food. 70, yeah. 70% probably uh, of immigrants undocumented that work in many of the farms across America. And that's the reality. If we have a salad and a carrot that we give our children, it's because probably a, a undocumented. Yeah, this beautiful food that we, we grow here. Was growing it. And this is the other thing. I told you immigration reform, but let's be more precise. Why we don't have a real revolving door visa farming policy? that allows the big farmers of America to be hiring anybody they need, that they come for the three, four months of the season to pick up the okra or the cotton or the corn. And then they go back to the countries. They bring with them whatever wealth they make with us. They make America stronger. The economy keeps growing. They go back to their communities, whatever countries they come from. They make their communities stronger. They thrive. They know they can come back next year. At the end, you create this amazing economy where in the process of moving America forward, you're moving many other communities across Latin America forward. And all of a sudden, you need no walls because the system use, sustains itself. And I believe in walls. I've been saying lately, we should be building big walls. But we should be building big walls for, for schools to prepare our young people to move forward. We should be building uh, walls to create uh, community kitchens, so every children in America has a plate of food, and so they have proper education early on, and we invest at the beginning, not we throw money at the end, putting those poor children in jail because they had nothing else to do that to get into trouble. I want big walls to have hospitals that provide the right care to every American. I want big walls to keep building America in the right way. No walls that separates people, walls that separates economies, walls that only makes everybody being afraid of each other. I'm not afraid of anybody. No American should be afraid of anybody. Uh, I used to say that now immigrants coming are the bad people. Listen to me, are unfortunately bad people anywhere around the world, Americans or not. But the vast majority of the people, the 99.9% of the people, they are all good, hard-working people, Americans or immigrants that came from any other country. That's the type of wall we should be investing. Walls that represent inclusion, no walls that represent exclusion. Oh, you got my vote. Yeah, you got my vote, too. <laughs> you've, you've spoken so much, particularly in the last few months, about immigration. You've become an extraordinary advocate for immigrants and for immigration reform. And you also do work 
in D.C. with hunger and local communities. I mean, have you ever thought about running for office? <laughs> you know, I if I if I had more preparation and, and I had a university degree, well, actually, I got one at George Washington, an honorary degree, uh, when I gave the commencement speech uh, three years ago. But that's, but I mean that's but, more than what was that there was that <laughs> representative or recently who it turned out that his college degree was actually a business management course that Sizzler yeah, was, had set up for him. It was, a, it was a state senator from Iowa. Yeah. Wow. So so a, you know a university degree is not a requirement for for uh, governance in the well, U.S. Uh, I know that, but it's only I feel like in so many ways you can be helping your community and your country, and and I know that I can be helping America like so many other Americans only trying to be a voice. Quite frankly, I, I, I don't want to be a voice. I, I only want to be cooking, uh, telling stories about food and doing TV and radio here and there and enjoying life. But at the same time, uh, it's, it's very hard and especially a guy like me that my English is kind of a mix, I don't know, of uh, kindergarten. Uh, but the way I have to express myself, I have to try harder than anybody else. And I I have a feeling like I had to be a voice because there's so many voiceless people out there. I didn't want to be part of this. But at the same time, I cannot be looking to the other side. You know, it's, we cannot be in the food business and there will be hungry people. And, and you're charging $300 for a tasting menu in your restaurant, but across the street, somebody doesn't know what they're going to eat that day. So, so at the end, quite frankly, it's, it's, it's a very simple a scenario that, that you have to work hard to make uh, uh, yourself successful and your family and to provide for the people you know and you love. But I, I do believe the new American dream should be to work as hard for yourself and the people you love, but you have to equally do the same for the others you don't know. I do believe that should be the new American dream in the 21st century. Provide for others what you dream to provide for yourself. Think I'll think about that every morning after I read the, the, the morning news, those encouraging and inspiring words. Um, when you and your group, um, when you guys find a space in a city that you're in and that you like and you want to do something there and it's, you know, it's just, okay, this is, this is going to be um, one of our restaurants. What's the creative process? How do you put it together? Uh, do you check out what's already out there? Do you have this list of projects you want to do? Well, or Yeah, it's all of the above. I mean, the, the, the issue I have now is this, right? Is, is Jose the person that, I will be. I was talking with my wife the other day. I'm like, because it was this kind of restaurant for sale somewhere? I'm not gonna tell you where. In the uh, middle of nowhere. And my, and I told my wife, wouldn't it be cool? <laughs> we buy this restaurant with a beautiful house and all the acres, <laughs> and we move there, not telling anybody, no press release, no nothing, and we began cooking. <laughs> we see who shows up. And let's see what happens. I love this idea. So, so these eventually I will I will do on a boat, probably going from port to port or something like this. You show up in a, in the middle of nowhere. Ah, oh, that's so cool. And I will do that. I know I will. And then between that dream and what I'm doing now, that is more company that you run and you are more strategic. Still, I try to to address every restaurant like this story I'm telling you of the restaurant in the middle of nowhere. But the reason I want to open more restaurants is very simple. It's not greed. It's not more money. It's not more. It's not fame. It's not being rich. Uh, the reality is this: is who do you want to feed America and the world? 
a clown, and, and I have the utmost respect for, for the fast food industry. I think they do a great job for what they are, or, or a chef. To me, the, the answer is very simple. <laughs> I think you want a chef. So I do believe there's so many opportunities out there that, that chefs, chef-run companies, food-run companies like me, that we can do a better job than any, anyone else. So me, I try to separate very clearly my mini bars and the places is where I spend the most time uh, of the other restaurants. But again, do I want to have 10, 20 jaleos? Yes. Why? Because I want to bring Spanish food to more people uh, because it's something I always wanted to do. But at the end, those 20 restaurants I know will be better than other 20 restaurants that can, can be from a so-so chain. So I have that. I think every chef has that role of stop complaining of why food sometimes can be so bad in so many parts of the world and start doing something to bring better quality food to the people of America. That's as simple as that. The problem was that everybody says that America doesn't get enough vegetables and fruits. Uh, USDA, the Department of Agriculture, recommends right now in my plate that America should be eating 50% at least of their diet of vegetables and fruits. But the USDA only puts 1% of their budget to help America eat vegetables and fruits. So it's a very big disconnect. So me, I stopped going to this Congress that everybody claps like seals, me first, when we <laughs> say something amazing, let's bring more vegetables and fruits to America. Everybody claps. And then we go to our homes, Woo-hoo. nothing happened. Beefsteak to me was more like, I'm going to stop clapping and I'm going to try to do something. Even if I fell miserably, and uh, at least I try. And I, at least I will learn something. And I hope I will give a glimpse of what it could be to other young people that one day they will have even a better idea of how we can do vegetables and fruits sexy again. So beefsteak is my real try on trying to bring true vegetables, cook in front of you. Uh, to the vast majority as Americans I can reach. So far, again, we have six. First one was in George Washington University, my alma mater now. <laughs> yeah. But we are uh, at <laughs> Penn, UPenn. Uh, but I, I would love to be like Facebook, like they went from, from Cambridge uh, all the way to, you know, that was Stanford. Uh, oh, so, that's an interesting model, yeah. So should I be near Cambridge? Uh-huh. Because I've been teaching <laughs> there the, the physics class uh, for undergrads. And yes, do I want to be in Stanford? Yes. Do I want to be in every university in America? Yes. Why? Because it's a, a very natural fit. So I, I dream that in five years we'll have at least 100 beefsteaks. At least I dream of that. I am getting myself ready to achieve that. I have the best team a chef can put together to do that. I had dinner more than a month ago. It was actually, it was the week before the presidential inauguration at Minibar in D.C. And the final savory course, like the the meal builds to a crescendo. And, you know, if you go through the tasting menu experience at most places, usually the last savory course before you move into the pre-dessert section of the evening is a hunk of meat. It'll be like, usually beef or like venison or something. And at Minibar, the final savory course was a cabbage leaf. It was brilliant. I mean, it was amazing. It was a cabbage leaf that had been painted in in cow fat, in suet, mm. in cow fat, and it was the steakiest yeah. cabbage leaf I've ever had. But, I mean, it was great. It was, all right, well, here's uh, a vegetable. You know, uh, we are obsessed with meat. I am obsessed with meat. I am a big chunk 
of meat on two legs. <laughs> but think about it for a second. Uh, and I have a meat restaurant, Bazaar, in Las Vegas, which which I don't want to brag about it, but it's super cool and it's doing amazing and it's like this homage to, 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 to fire and, and meat. I'm going to book a trip to Vegas just to eat at your yeah, restaurant. But this you one, you're going to love it. Yeah. Baby pig, like nowhere. But, but ending, when you put a piece of meat in your mouth, let's say it's the best meat in the world, which is no easy, but imagine. Uh, the first five seconds, you put the piece in your mouth, the smokiness of the charcoal, the juices that began f- floating all around your, your tongue, your mouth, your body's kind of, oh my God, what's going on? This is so good. But only last five seconds. In the, in the moment those juices disappear, you have this big brown piece of, I don't know what, fibers and other things that you're going to have to be biting to try to break it into small pieces for the next 30 seconds of your life. And you are there munching a piece of ugly, ugly color, ugly everything, because you have to put it inside your stomach. And me, I'm wondering why I am spending 30 seconds of my life trying to break a piece of tasteless piece of S-H-I-T, to try to put it into my stomach. It's a waste of my life. 30 seconds is a lot of seconds for a bite. Imagine when you have to have 20 bites to multiply 20 bites for 30 seconds of tasteless moment. I am not living my life to have so many minutes, hours probably, days at the end of your lifetime of munching something so tasteless. So we, I'm looking for the moment of the use, the five seconds. I'm trying to make sure that people don't spend so many hours of their lives, days of their lives, munching something so tasteless. So that's the way I try to approach meat. And that's why you will get a dish like this, that we are bringing you meat aromas and meat flavors, but that sometimes I don't want to waste your precious life because you are putting your life in my hands. So I do, my best moment is when I get a steak sometimes and I use the steak with my hands and I take all the blood then I put it in a glass, and then I drink it. Yes, Dracula was a smart man, to a degree, yes. Was he drinking from the wrong source? Yeah, I mean, yeah, humans shouldn't be drinking other humans, obviously. But in this case, the, the black in the glass, warm, with a little bit of salt, and that, those four seconds you're, you're drinking the, the, the juice of the meat, that's the way we should be eating meat. If we do that with a carrot, and the carrot juice is amazing, why we cannot do this with a piece of meat? Mm. Amazingness is what we need to be always looking for. The Eater Upsell is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network and is recorded at Vox Media Studios in San Francisco in New York City. Your two hosts are me, Helen Rosner, and that other guy whose voice you hear every week, Greg Morbido. Our producer is AP Dan, more commonly known as Dan Janine. Our editorial producer is Monica Burton. Our executive producer is Maureen Janone. Our studio team is Miles Ewell and Paige Bethan. Our editor-in-chief and fearless leader is Amanda Clute. And the most important person in this entire process, the one person without whom none of this would be possible, past, present, or future, is you, beautiful and brilliant listener. It's you. Thank you for everything you do. We love you.